Amen. you ever received a love letter from someone? I'm not talking about social media. I'm not talking about emails. I'm not talking about anything digital. I'm talking about a physical love letter that you received from someone. Maybe it came on really nice stationery. And this part's important. It wasn't typed out. It was written in their handwriting. When you receive a love letter like that, you hang on to it. You cherish it because that love letter represents a bond that's shared between you and the one who took the time to pass that on to you. Love letters are beautiful things. And such is the case with the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is the most personal of all of the epistles that we have in our New Testament. In essence, the book of Philippians is a love letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He had planted this church 10 years earlier, but in these next few weeks, as we work our way through this beautiful book, we are going to be reading a love letter shared between Paul and those people. Even though he is not physically with them, even though it's been 10 years since he planted the church, you are going to be able to sense this powerful love shared between Paul and these people in every single verse. And so let's get started now. If you have your Bible with you or a Bible app, I invite you to join me in Philippians 1. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 11. Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Please pray with me. Lord God, we are so thankful for our chance to be here together in worship today. We thank you that it's not just us sitting in this building, but you are present with us. We are so thankful for your invitation to live in your presence and to worship you. We're thankful as well for the gift of scripture 
And I pray that in these next few minutes, as we peer into this first chapter of Philippians, that you would give each of us eyes to see just what you want us to see. That you give us hearts that are soft and ready to receive whatever you choose to reveal. And that you give us conviction that's strong so we can apply what we see and understand to the way we live every day. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have your Bible open, I encourage you to keep it open. This little book of Philippians, four short chapters, is so packed with material, so packed with theology, so packed with insight that I can't possibly produce enough slides to show all of it to you. You need to have the text open in front of you as we go so that you have this roadmap and you can see the cohesiveness of what Paul is sharing with the church. So I encourage you, keep your Bibles open during this series. It'll be well worth it. Let's unpack a little bit of what Paul has to say in this opening chapter. He starts with a greeting in verses 1 and 2. It's a standard greeting from Paul's day, but he has transformed it theologically. He's done this in three different ways. First, he calls himself and Timothy servants instead of apostles. They were apostles. That was a title that they each bore, but it was also some authority that they were given in the church and among the people. But rather than emphasize his authority, he emphasizes that they are servants right alongside all of those who are members of the church at Philippi. Secondly, he says, all God's holy people together with the overseers and deacons. He makes sure right at the beginning that everyone knows this letter is for them. It's not just for the leaders. It's not just for a select few in the church there. But what he is sharing about his love and what he is sharing about the transformation that God wants to bring in all of their lives, it has to do with everyone. And notice as well that he calls them holy people. They are the saints. They are the ones who've been claimed by Jesus. And he wants to make sure that all of them know that all of what he's about to write is for them. Thirdly, he says grace and peace rather than just greetings. And this is something that Paul likes to do in his epistles, but it's his way of breathing some passion and life into the greeting itself. These first couple verses is just standard, but he transforms it so that the people are put on notice right from the start that something great is coming their way. Paul offers a prayer of thanks in verses 3 through 8, and it's prompted by his strong affection for these Philippian believers. Paul gives joyful thanks for two things. First, for their partnership, their fellowship, their sharing, their practical support and assistance in his ministry. It was a consistent partnership, he says, from the first day until now. And this consistency evokes great affection. Paul says, I have you in my heart. It's a love letter, right? I mean, this is like emotional stuff coming from this guy. He is connected to these people, and he wants to make no risk of them not understanding this and not feeling bound to him in this wonderful way. So he gives joyful thanks for their partnership, but also for their transformation. Not just their salvation, but salvation that has transformed them from the inside out. Each of us encountered God at some point. And each of us made a decision at some point as to whether or not we would believe in God or whether or not we would follow after God. But each new day since then, change has been at work inside of us. 
That change and transformation began that day, but it will last the rest of our lives. It's a little bit like Anthony Gaudi's La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. Have you been there before? Have you seen this absolutely amazing structure? Construction began on this in 1882, and it's absolutely magnificent so far. Construction started in 1882, and 140 years later, it is still under construction. It's broken all the records. It's the longest continual construction of a building that's on record, and it's absolutely fabulous. The inside looks even more magnificent than the outside, but it is so interesting to imagine that after 140 years, they're not done yet. And when I see this, I don't think, what's wrong with those guys? Why is it taking them so long? When can we get the cranes out of the way? I actually see this as something beautiful. I see it as this picture of the kind of transformation that God is doing inside of us. Construction never stops. The transformation never comes to an end. Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6 that the work God began inside of us will be carried on to completion. Carried on until the day of Christ Jesus, which means our entire lives as we live down here waiting to meet Jesus face to face, we're under construction. Something beautiful is being made. We do not need to be embarrassed about that, but instead encouraged that the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us is changing us, is making us new, is drawing us ever closer to God. That is something to be thankful for. Paul offers a prayer of intercession as he moves down to verse 9. And he prays for their growth, that their love may abound more and more in two specific ways. First, in knowledge. And he's probably referring here to spiritual knowledge. Learning things, studying the scriptures, understanding more of God. But he also prays that their love would abound more and more in depth of insight. This is wisdom versus pure information. This is moral perception. This is loving wisely in our daily living. Paul prays that this would take place in our lives. And why does Paul pray in this way? He tells us in verses 10 and 11, so that we may be able to discern what is best, to distinguish, to know what really matters in this world, to identify and to avoid embracing false teaching, to embrace what is whole and helpful, and to reject what is harmful to us and others. He prays in this way so that we may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. And I love this. There is a cosmic scale to what Paul is praying for. This is the natural result of following the way of life Christ has given us, being transformed every step along the way. And Paul wants the Philippians and he wants us to do all of this for one reason alone. For the sake of God's glory. You see, when we're transformed in this way, we bring glory to God. When our love abounds more and more, and we live out that love in this world, we bring glory to God. When we partner together with Christians through the ages and today, we bring glory to God. And this is held before us as our one reason for living as well. 
And that is just the opening of Paul's letter. That is Paul saying, hi, how are you? Can you imagine what we have in store across the next 13 weeks as we dig deeper and deeper into this letter? Paul intended for us to read it. We don't need to be embarrassed reading someone else's love letter. But I want you to hang on to this love letter and receive it as such across these next few weeks. I encourage you in this coming week to read all the way through this book. It won't take long. Imagine that letter that's been written to you. Read it in multiple translations so you can really get the sense of the passion and teaching that's there. And we are going to launch onto a journey together today that I think is going to draw us closer to one another. Unity is one of the major themes in this book. And it's going to draw us closer to God and increase our appreciation for the transformation God's doing inside of us. I hope you'll come along. I hope construction will continue in each of our lives and we will be changed as a result. Let me pray toward that end now. Lord God, we are thankful for you, for who you are. We're thankful for the example of the Apostle Paul and the way he is not afraid to express his passion and his love for this church that he planted. God, help us to share that same love for one another, that same affection, that same encouragement so that we can celebrate together this active living faith you've given us. You've laid before us this beautiful way of life, and as we walk this way of life together, we desire to encourage one another, to support one another, to see the world transformed as we trust in you and follow your way of life. And so as we begin this journey, God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and take us someplace beautiful as we go. I pray all of these things together now in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.